From the beautiful Art House Studios in Nashville, Tennessee, this is The Pivot, stories of people who've made a change. Welcome to The Pivot. My name is Andrew Osinga, and my guest today is Ben Young. Ben is an author, a speaker, he's a pastor at Second Baptist Church in Houston, which is one of the largest churches in Texas. And what's really super fun about Ben, at least for me, is that he is the brother of one of my former bandmates, Cliff Young of Cademan's Call. I used to see Ben all the time. As the band, we really used Second Baptist as our headquarters. You know, it's where we rehearsed, uh, it's where we borrowed musical gear with at least the intent to eventually return it. It's where we ate, as Cliff would always say, all the nutter butters that a Baptist church could give us. Ben just released a book last week. It's called Survive the Day, Thriving in the Midst of Life's Storms. It's a good book for the Pivot Podcast, if ever there was one. And it's most definitely a good book for whatever you want to call this hot mess of a year that we are all living through. What I love about this book is that it's relational and easy to read, but it's also really useful. Ben takes his years of experience not only as a pastor, but also as a person who's just lived through a lot of pain to give practical tools and insight to actually help people navigate through those metaphorical storms that we all go through. Uh, It was so fun to uh, virtually see him again and catch up. This was the first ever podcast that I have done virtually. I used this new technology, and I think Ben sounds great. And me in here with my studio with all my fancy recording gear (laughs) didn't turn out sounding that quite as amazing. So, We'll get it figured out. Thankfully, I'm just the guy that asks the questions and then shuts up while he does most of the talking. Uh, Anyway, thank you for your graciousness there. All the same, we will get it better. But before we chat with Ben, which is going to be so fun, time to talk about the Chicken of the Month Club. This is a way that you can join with my friends, like Davey, who I interviewed last week, from Food for the Hungry, and the work that they are doing around the world to help families get out of poverty. For almost 50 years, Food for the Hungry has been inspired by the Christian belief that every person has value, that it's our responsibility to advocate for the poor and the marginalized, no matter their race, beliefs, or nationality. Food for the Hungry operates in over 20 countries around the world, and over 95% of their staff are native to the countries and communities that they serve. They're providing life-changing resources, clean water, medical aid, food, equal educational opportunities for boys and girls. The goal is to eventually leave a community fully self-sustaining. And the exciting news is that we can help. How? I'm so glad you asked. It's very simple. Go to fh.org pivot and join me and other Pivot listeners in the Chicken of the Month Club. Your ongoing monthly gift of 28 bucks will provide two chickens to a different vulnerable family every month. That is incredible and life-changing. And 28 bucks, that's less than what we spend on Hulu and Netflix every month. And these chickens, they are providing a sustainable source of protein through their daily eggs, which so significantly improves the nutrition of children. Since chickens are easy to raise, they multiply quickly, families can earn an additional income by selling eggs or chicks in the market. And as a gift to you, I'm going to send you an awesome coffee mug with a little Nashville flair just for fun. That's right, it's got our little club's logo on it, the Andrew Osinga's Hot Chicken of the Month Club. And my hope is that when you drink your coffee or your tea or whatever you're drinking out of this great mug, it will serve as a reminder of the good work that you are a part of to end poverty. And guys, you have been making an impact. 
My friends at Food for the Hungry keep telling me how thrilled they are with the response from you guys, Pivot listeners. Hundreds of families are being given opportunity and dignity through the work that you are doing just by clicking a link and sending a few bucks. So thank you so much. And yes, signing up will get you this awesome mug. You can see it on my Instagram page. It's almost as cool as you guys are. Just kidding. Nothing is as cool as you. Thank you for listening, for supporting Food for the Hungry. You are making an impact. fh.org slash pivot. And now, my conversation with Ben Young. Well, dude, thanks for, for making time to do this. It's so fun to see you again. I think we both look a little different than the last time we saw each other. I think I look different. I think you look the same. And no, really, you look great, Andrew. I just want you to know that. It's the hat. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a little while, but I used to play in a band with your brother and would see you often. Yes. Yeah, and you're you're still you're in the same building where we would hang out. I'm in the same building. We used to do uh, lead worship back in a gymnasium and then we moved into the what we call big church, you know, and <laughs> so yeah, but you're still on my phone. That was so comforting before we started this 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 uh podcast that I like, hey, you're in my phone, man. I, I, I love I, that. Yeah, that's how love far that. back we go. Man, well, okay, so let, let's let's go all the way back a little bit. So you are you are born and, and raised like Houston, right? No, um, I've been in Houston uh, since 1978, which is probably before you were born. Okay, yeah, you, one year. Yes, there you go. So, uh, but I grew up in the Carolinas. I was oh, born yeah. in North Carolina, and then Cliff was born in South Carolina. That's right. That's yeah. right. So, how old were you then when you moved to Houston? I was 15. Was that hard moving when you were 15? It was middle of high school. It was hard because, man, I had all my friends from, you know, junior high and I played basketball and we were looking forward to go to high school. And then we just left. I mean, my dad's a pastor and we resigned on a Sunday. And on Tuesday, I'm on that big bridge that separates Louisiana from Texas. And I'm entering into this brand new world, moving from a smaller city to the fourth largest city in the United States in Houston. Crazy. It was a massive culture change because here's what people don't understand. People think Texas is the South. Texas is Texas. It's its own kind of like California. There are a couple of states that have almost like a, I don't know, like a, 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 a national identity. And I would say Texas, California, and Hawaii, actually, yeah. they kind of see themselves as countries, you know, not states. So how long did it, did it take you to kind of reacclimate? Then in high school. Honestly, uh, high school took a long time because um, we had gone to schools in, in the South and uh, the, the schools we went to in South Carolina, they were a lot rougher. And so we went to these schools yeah. here in, in Houston that were, there were public schools, but they were like private schools to us. And people wore khakis and button down shirts. I mean, our, our schools in South Carolina, people wore army jackets and rags. It was right by Fort Jackson and it was, there were fights and it was just, it was such a culture shock for my brother and I, but, but wow. we, it probably took us about two years to really adapt. I mean, it, it, it was, it was not easy. So did you, have you been in Houston the whole time? Have you ever left? No, I've left. So, um, I've lived in Waco. I've lived in Fort Worth. I've lived in Mexico city, Colorado, and a little bit in Amsterdam and Holland. Okay. All right. It, it felt like you just described like an episode of The Amazing Race to me. Okay, so I'm assuming that Waco is Baylor? Baylor Bears, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so you went to the, there for college. Mm-hmm. What, were you, what were you studying? I was studying speech communications. 
What does that mean, speech communication? I really don't even know. I had a friend of mine that I also talked into that major, and he used to, and he still we're like in our fifties now, still mad. I can't believe you made me major in speech. I go, I got you out of college, didn't it? And he goes, yeah, you're right. I probably wouldn't wouldn't have made it with a hard major. <laughs> no, speech communications is primarily about how to how to do public speaking and how to do, you know, how to be persuasive. Uh, so I remember taking classes on rhetoric and again classes on public speaking and. And I was just talking with somebody literally an hour ago about that and about if you haven't been taught how to do that and you find yourself in a place in life where all of a sudden you're on a stage or there's a camera pointed at you and you have to go like that's a that's that's there might be a little inherent uh, talent, but that's a skill you have to like learn and hone. Yeah. See, you and you and Cliff, you have that guitar in front of you as kind of a mediator. It's very helpful. But when you're taking that guitar away and you're up there naked on the stage with that microphone. Yeah. Couldn't do it. Yeah. Couldn't pay me. I don't know. So, so, okay, so what, right now, Andrew, but anyway. Maybe. Uh, so you, you grew up and your dad is a pastor, right? Yes. The whole time you were a kid? The whole time. So did you think that you were going to be a pastor? Absolutely not. So, okay. So then what drives you to go learn how to speak in front of people better? Well, that, so that, not be a pastor. that kind of brings me back to my call. No right, pun intended. Go. Let's go. No pun intended. So <laughs> my call. <laughs> I, it, tell him what I did, Andrew. To the listener, he's holding up fully wrapped Cademan's call CDs from back in the day. I am. And then yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to get, I'm going to got to, I got to air some bitterness here about Cademan's call. Uh, I've got uh, Yeah. Let's see. Let's go. Uh, Okay, here we go. So I feel like you guys, first of all, I feel like you owe me money. Sure because, we do. Because Cliff, my little brother, never would have been a musician, never would have started Cademan's Call if it were not for me. Because he grew up in a fairly different socioeconomic background than I did. He had, you know, my parents had a little more money. He had a little more perks. Okay. Mm. Okay. But from the time he was born to the time... I left to go to college. I tortured him. I was so mean to him. If I go to hell, it's going to be because I was so mean to my little brother, Cliff. However, right, it made him into an artist and a musician. Otherwise, he had nothing to work out because he had this charmed life. So I kept telling Cliff, you guys need to give me a point on one of your CDs and give me some cash because of the angst that, you know, and all you guys' songs back in the day was so depressing and No one was like that back in the day. Anyway, (laughs) I digress. (laughs) No, well, that's good. I've got, I mean, every, every artist needs some torture to be a tortured artist. Well, well, think about it. If you're a musician or a comedian, comedy and music usually comes from a place of pain. Yeah. And I was the one who brought the pain to my poor little brother club growing up. And that provided for my family, my whole twenties. So thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> and Cliff said, "Yeah, I'm going to give you a point. I'm going to give you a point, and never got a point on a on a on a CD. A point oh. is a percentage of the profits, folks. So yes, well, we'll have to do a reissue or something just to okay. Back to my call. So I grew up. My dad is a pastor. 
you grow up in a preacher's home, you go to church, you know, little old ladies already squeezing you on cheek. Oh, you're going to be a preacher just like your dad. Oh, you're, you're like, you're like Southern Baptist in the Carolinas. Southern Baptist. I mean, that's, that's like, that's a thing. That's strict. That's real no dancing, thing. no drinking, no chewing. No girls who do. And no girls who do. And no billiards, which is playing. Now pool. that seems, that seems like a stretch. No, because you play pool, that leads to cards. Mm. Cards lead to gambling. Gambling needs leads to drinking, which is the worst sin. And so, mm. yeah. Anyway, so, <laughs> so I heard somebody say, "Yeah, what? Uh, it was you weren't allowed to have sex because it could lead to dancing." Exactly. Yeah. yeah why? No. The, I think the joke is, why do Baptists not commit adultery? Why? Because it leads to dancing. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I said the joke and then and then fell for it and laughed. You got it. That worked. Amazing. We're just killing this. This is the best interview you've ever done, Ben. This, Andrew, it really is. I don't, you know, wouldn't normally share that. But anyway, this is a podcast. Yeah. You, you, okay. you, are, you are you are, the uh, Joe Rogan of Christianity. So here we go. So so you so you grow up in the church, uh, old ladies pinching your cheeks. You're going to be a preacher someday. And so as a kid, does that make you think, no way? That's a, no, I'm not. I think I'm going to make good grades. I'm going to become a businessman and then mm -hmm. make some money. Okay. And so that's what I wanted to do. And, and I think too, growing up in the church, you kind of see, I mean, growing up at preacher's home, you kind of see some of the dark side of ministry. Yeah. And you're like, you know, I don't know if I want to deal with that or not. Yeah. But as God would have it, um, when I was about 12 years old, I was on a retreat and I just, I just sensed uh, a really strong call to one day go into full-time ministry, to one day preach. And, mm. and it was so real. I mean, that experience, in a sense, was, was more real than my conversion, if you would. I know that sounds weird, but that's the way it rolled out. And so that's how I eventually was led into the ministry, but or called into the ministry. My parents never forced that on me or Ed or Cliff. And mm. um, it's interesting. We're all three different. Yeah. Um, and you're all three pastors now. And we're all three somehow in ministry and pastoring. Of course, Cliff's doing movies now, as you know, but. Yeah. That's wild. That's wild. So, yeah. so how does your life change when you get that call? Like, was that, is that like a night and day thing? Is that like a gradual thing? No, it, it was a very specific call, but I, I knew, you know, again, going back to the school system in South Carolina, I knew it probably wouldn't go really swimmingly to announce to your friends, Hey, I'm called to be a preacher. So I just kind of, I kind of tucked that in my heart, you know, the verse where it said that Mary hid these things in her heart. So I kind of just hid that in my heart until I was really in my early twenties mm. and getting out of college. And that's kind of when I made it public that I was going to go into ministry, go to seminary. And that's why I chose going back to college to major in speech communications. I knew that at some point I would have to end up talking in front of people and I wanted to improve my ability to do that. So, hmm. That's amazing. So how I'll long did it short take story you? long? Hmm. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Yes. So do you, is your first job then after college, like in ministry? No, first time in college was seminary. So I spent three okay. years, three and a half years getting a master's degree in seminary. And I did some mission work here. And that's when I lived in Mexico City for a while. That's when I lived in Amsterdam. Oh, okay. Who'd you do that with? Amsterdam was with YWAM. Yeah. The mission. Yeah. And I like YWAM. Those guys are just, 
they're so eclectic, you know, theologically, but they're just out there. They're just risky. I mean, I had not been there a week. And this is when the Iron Curtain was up and we were battling communism, you know, as a country. And they tapped me, brought me to the side and said, hey, we're going to smuggle some Bibles into East Germany. Yeah. Oh, which, totally. Which, I mean, I'm just there on a, as a summer missionary and they're already tapping. <laughs> You're like, somebody told me there were girls here. So that's why I'm, yeah. Yeah, because that's what it stands for. Uh, YWAM stands for Young Women After Men. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. So I'm actually working with YWAM these days, helping them uh, get their music going. Oh, cool. We, yeah. You know, I was just out in Kona and they have their big uh, training center and we did a live record a couple of times. Yeah, they have a base there in Kona. As a matter of fact, yeah. uh, my um, niece has been with YWAM for, I don't know how long. She just um, came back to the States and been in Australia for a long time, but she was at the base in Kona as well. Oh, really? Yeah. That's awesome. So, you know, right. Yeah. So I, I did that. And then I, I when I started working uh, in the ministry, I worked here at Second in the singles ministry. That's when they had singles ministry. They even had magazines called Singles. Uh, Bebo Norman was on the uh, cover of it one time. Sure, he was. Yes, yeah, he was. Because he was single and hot. Yeah, I remember. And, uh, that's when uh, Katy Perry was playing with him. Do you remember that? You can't make that up. Yeah, but she was Katie Hudson. Yes, yeah. she was. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. You know what's interesting? I was talking to uh, Josh about that, Josh Moore. Mm -hmm. He had a date with her, with Katy Perry. Wait, what? Yes, he did. How did I never hear that story? Yeah, so it gets better. So they had this date. They go to the mall. And this is Josh, who's out yeah. there himself. Incredibly talented. But Josh, is he's, he's, he's a musician. Yes. He's on this date with Katy Perry. And he goes, you know, he just says it out loud. You're, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're crazy. And she goes, yeah, I know, I am. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, it's good to know. You know, you, you gotta know said, yourself. He said her album, when she was 16 or 17, and it's, a, I guess, a Christian album. Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. I haven't heard it, but he said it's, you could see her talent back then. You know, I've never listened to it. I haven't either, I but I, I need to, I want to now. Yeah. That's wild. Okay. Anyway, so you take a job at Second, which is your dad's church. Yeah, as the, and you're this you're in the singles ministry. Correct. Are you single at that time? Yes, I was single, but I was dating someone. Okay, but I was single. I, I, part of the time, I wasn't. Yeah, it, it, it was interesting. So, I was a singles singles pastor and then a married singles pastor. And here's how you can't please people. So I was a single singles pastor. Well, you can't do that. It's not a conflict of interest if you're da da da. And then if I was married, well, how can you be single, Pastor? You're married because you can't relate to them. So it's kind of like darned if you are and darned if you're not, right? Yeah, so, for sure. Only in the uh, church, so now, Andrew. Oh my gosh. So how long did you how long did you do that? Over a decade. Over a decade. That's when I met. I think you were doing that when I would have met you. I had a radio show called yeah. The Single Connection. Tell me about that. Well, we had a live radio. What did radio you talk about on The Single Connection? It was awesome. Here's the deal. So the, the, the single connection was on the Salem radio network. It was nationally syndicated. The only reason it was nationally syndicated is because it was Sunday nights, nine to 11 central time. Right. No you one was whatever, listening. You could do whatever you want. I could do whatever I want because all the little old ladies and that actually paid money for these Christian stations, they were home in bed. The station managers, they're not working Sunday nights. I talked about stuff that now that people talk about all the time, no one was talking about. I mean, we talked about like what tattoos, 
uh, plastic surgery, masturbation. I mean, stuff you didn't talk about on Christian radio. Yeah. Yes, the M word. I just said it. I apologize. No, that's, it, it, it's happened before on this podcast. Yeah, good. I, I, I don't doubt it. Um, did you enjoy doing that? Like, why why did you want to do a radio show? Um, it was interesting. So I, I was already in singles ministry. Like I'd written a book called The Ten Commandments of Dating that um, mm-hmm. was doing really well, and a new radio station came to town, and they were looking. You know, they were looking for stuff to fill their schedule. And they met with me and met with us. I just kind of fell into it. Well, looking back on it, I'm kind of like, I would rather be doing the show now because I feel like I have more to say now. I was only in my what my early 30s or mid-30s. I didn't know what the heck was going on, but I did it. I'm glad I did it. It's a good experience doing radio. And I interviewed just anybody in the Christian world, musicians, writers, preachers. Yeah. And then I also had live call-in where they could call in and ask me or my guests any question they'd want to. Now, that's the one thing we can't do with podcasts that I wish we could. I think that'd be so fun. It, it is. It can be it, fun. Is it? And I, <laughs> I, I'm sure there's probably be tricky too. Yeah. Yeah. There's so, a lot of live editing you can't do. Yeah. But anyway, so th- th- I kind of fell into it and, and did it for a fairly long time. And let me ask you this question. Please. Uh, and I'll edit this out if this is too awkward of a question. But if you write a book about the, the, the 10 rules of dating when you're in your 30s, do you stand by what you wrote now? 100%. You do? I do. Yeah, I really do. Because I know that's not everybody's story who has it, written something like that. Yeah. I mean, there are other things I've probably written in the past, other books that I would change, but that would not change the 10 commandments of dating. I wouldn't, but of course I wrote it. First of all, I co-authored it with a friend of mine who's a clinical psychologist. Hmm. And we simply gleaned stuff that I was seeing in the ministry and also in the city with singles and he, what he was seeing in his counseling offices. And then we started looking at other books and we tried to make them time tested laws. And so, yeah, I really wouldn't, there's not much I would change. I mean, I may change the tone of the book. The tone is pretty, it's pretty sarcastic and and the tone of my other books are not, are not that way, but that was kind of, that kind of language, that kind of style was kind of in, and I was trying yeah, to, yeah. we didn't, we didn't know what our voice was yet as writers. Not that I do now, but. Hmm. Yeah. But well, I that, wouldn't change it. How about that? Isn't that weird? Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, there, there are, I mean, having had a, enough work out there now for, 20 some years for me, there are definitely things in the past that I go, I would have done that differently. And others you go, I would do it differently now, but I'm glad for what it is. And it's nice to have some of those. Yeah. 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 So it was, it was kind of, I don't know, that was our, the first book I'd ever written. Again, I never, it's interesting in life. I never, never, ever planned on writing books ever, never thought of myself as a writer. I still don't see myself as a writer. I see myself more as a a speaker who also writes hmm. because I read too much to know what a writer really is. Um, so, but it's funny how God just opens doors and opportunities and, and we take risks and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. Uh, I've had books yeah. that have been, you know, pretty successful and other books that I thought were great and they weren't. And, hmm. you know, well, okay. Well, let's catch up. So, so now what role are you doing? You're still, you're at the same church. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still a single pastor. Mm-hmm. Still the single pastor. 
Well, yeah. What what is a what does life look like for you right now in the work side of what you're doing? Right now, or at this point in my life, at, at this point in your life, work is. Um, well, we have a, a we had a massive singles ministry. We we had over probably over a thousand singles or close to it, just singles coming to our it's church, insane. and it's insane. So it was really cool, though. The great part about that ministry, even to today, is it was such an evangelistic opportunity. So many people came to know Christ in that ministry. And now that we're a lot of us in our forties and fifties, I still see them around our city. They don't necessarily go to my church and, and just to see awesome. the fruit that came from that season. So I did a lot of evangelism, uh, sharing Christ one-on-one, equipping other people and how they can uh, tell their testimony, how they can invite friends to church. So I'm helping to oversee and build community for Christian singles. So I'm doing that a lot. And then on the weekend, I'm speaking uh, at a service. Here we go. Our roads lead to Cademan's call. Then I'm doing with Cade called Logos. Cademan's yeah. did the singing and the, you know, you were there. And I did there. the teaching along with Gary Peel. And then mm -hmm. Sunday morning, we had a service. We started called 1111. There was kind of a. I still have a shirt that says 1111. Wow. It, it does not fit. I'll send you some more. We've got some somewhere in the archives. Do they still have that service? Yes, they do. I still, I'm still one of the teachers there. Isn't that funny? Amazing. Amazing. Crap. So, yeah. So that's it. And I'm doing, I'm, I'm a pastor. So I'm doing, I do funerals. I do weddings. I do counseling. Hmm. All that stuff, man. That's amazing. During this time. I, I still do. So how long have you been a pastor? Since 1989. Is that 31 years? Time. A long time, dude. Is that thirty-one years? Thirty-one, yeah. Yeah. Is it at thirty-one years? Is it what you thought it would have been at year one? No. The problems that people have are much more complex than when I first started in ministry. So, mm -hmm. and, and and my own personal problems are much more complex when I first started in ministry. So I, I have a theory that life moves from the simple to the complex, back to the simple. Yeah. So we start off life in diapers, drooling, pooping on our pants, and we don't know our name. Then we have life, and then we die in diapers, drooling, pooping our pants, not knowing our name. And in between is that thing called life. Mm. That's an optimistic yeah. view. And so anyway, so, so, but no, seriously, but when we get out of, when we get out of, you know, our diapers and we're walking around and everything and we're, going to school, life is pretty simple. Then it gets more complex and it goes back to being simple. So with, in ministry, I, I found that ministering to people is, has gotten more complex, I think primarily because of technology and technology. So it's, it's not just that as you, as you are older, you're seeing the complexities in everyone. It's you think it's the actual job itself. Like the issues that people are facing are more complex now than they used to. I think so, because I think that it's harder to keep keep people's attention. It's harder to get people to connect to community. And my goodness, you know, technology is a double-edged sword. So the temptations that we have through our cell phones, through computers, and through that is just massive. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's amazing. That, that's really interesting. We connected because you just wrote a book that came out last week called Survive the Day. Mm -hmm. And uh, the subtitle, Thriving in the Midst of Life's Storms. Yes. That's not a book you write unless you have 
it's not a book you write without experience. Right. So what leads you to writing a book like this? Yes. Well, I see it's 2020. So about, I don't know, 12 years ago, my life began to unravel. And then after it unraveled to mix metaphors here, uh, mm -hmm. it, it literally exploded into a million pieces. Okay. So basically what happened, and I can't get into all the details, and I think sure, you understand totally. your listeners will. Basically what happened is my wife, the love of my life, and I went through a very public divorce. There was not immorality involved with her or me, anything like that. But going through a public divorce and you can't really explain what's going on. I had two daughters. That's so hard. Bro, that was brutal. And it was not just brutal for one year, two years, three years. It lasted for several years. Yeah. So that's what, you know, is, is the, again, the book is not about divorce or divorce recovery. It's about surviving any storm. Sure. That you're going through, whether it's dealing with cancer or you have someone you love that has an addiction uh, or raising a special needs child. I have a, almost a whole chapter on that, a, a couple that is dear to me. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, that's that's kind of is the the context, if you would, of, of, of Survive the Day, the book. Yeah. So that's something that you have to live in for a while. And you're a pastor, so you're having to deal with all that stuff. Yeah. All people are coming to you with their own problems and you... I assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that at some point you have to put on a public face and do the job. Yes. Too. Yeah. And, I, and what I did during that time, Andrew, I stepped down from preaching for about two yeah. years. Okay. And when I stepped down from preaching, the rumors about me that spread in our city and throughout the country, listen, I've been accused of everything except murder. And so it was just, it was just, it was a crazy experience. How do you deal with that? I know it was so difficult. So, and I talk, talk about this in the book. I, I literally at 8 a.m. on Monday had a Christian therapist I would see. And mm -hmm. on Friday at two o'clock, I had a clinical psychologist that I would see. And my whole goal, I mean, I'm kind of laughing now, was to make it from Monday all the way to Friday, from one shrink to the other. And, yeah. and those people those two therapists really saved my life and allowed me to maintain sanity and still go to work during that time when my life was blowing up. Wow. And you counsel people now. So yeah, I assume that the way you counsel people now is probably different in, in this season of life than it, it was before that happened. It, it is. And I had always, it's interesting. And always, I never really had a Pollyanna view of, the Christian life. I, I never was anything close to a, you know, prosperity kind of guy or even the evangelical version of that. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I wasn't ready for the storm that hit me mm -hmm. and, and the way that it played out. So yes, it has affected me because I think that at some point in our life, we gain entry into a club I call the pain club. And I, I think about that old, um, the original uh, hair plugs, yeah, they, yeah, the hair club for men. They showed yeah. all these guys who were bald and they got the plugs mm -hmm. like the vice president is running for office right now. And they got the plugs. And, and at the end of the commercial, it's a great commercial. The guy would say, I'm not just the hair club for men president. 
I'm also a client. Oh, a client. A client. Yeah. Remember, yeah. And so I feel that about the pain club. You know, I'm not just you know someone who talks about pain, preaches about it, writes about it. I'm I'm in the club. I've been through it. I still go through it, and um, I think that affects me in talking to people in my in my church and outside of the church too. Yeah. Because I can relate to their pain. It may not be the same pain, but pain is pain. And when you reach that certain level of despair and darkness, it's a great leveler. It's a great connector with others, you know? Yeah, man. I'd take it back if I could and go back to my mediocre Christian life. You know, mm-hmm. I would, but that's just not what happened. And um, So do you feel like you're... Your life before that, sorry, I have a pick stuck to my hand. Um, Wait, what's Dr. Ian? I, I, I lifted my hand and had a pick stuck to it. Um, oh, look nothing, at that. Nothing has changed, Ben. No, 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 it hasn't. You said you wouldn't go back to your mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, I'm distracting you because we're getting deep. That's what just, I'm, this is just, no, I'm just distracting it. you. I know that I am, Andrew. I'm aware. Uh, I'm aware. Go ahead. I'm I deflecting. Know I know this game. You're I'm pulling gonna, your pick out. You're going to start strumming, making me sad, making me cry. In the that interview, is, go ahead. It's what I do. That's what you do. Uh, just say you wouldn't go, you would go back to your mediocre Christian life if you could. And so I know you said that jokingly. Yes. Was your life, was, was your Christian life before that mediocre? No, it wasn't mediocre. It was, it was, uh, it was boring. But hmm. I, I, I guess sometimes when you go through something as, as brutal that I went through, people say, well, aren't, aren't you glad? the wonderful things that God did in your life. And well, and wouldn't I go, yeah, I am. But there was, it was a a price that not only I paid, but my children paid and my former spouse paid. And so, yeah. So that's what I kind of mean by that. I I don't, yeah, yeah. but, but but it, it, it has changed me because, you know, when, I don't know if you experienced this when you were a famous Christian musician, I guess you still are. But, you know, when you're in the kind of the professional Christian business like you are and I am as a pastor, mm-hmm. you kind of feel like you've got to be spiritual. You know, because I got to read my Bible today. I got to pray today because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian singer. I'm a Christian pastor. But when you go through a disaster like I went through, that motive or mixed motives for seeking God and praying doesn't exist anymore for me. Mm-hmm. I pray, I read God's word in the morning because I have to breathe because I need God. And that's today. I'm not just talking about when I was going through the storm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that that's definitely a massive change. Because sometimes you kind of wonder about your motives. and am I, am I praying because I need to pray? Am I praying because I'm a Christian? Am I praying because I'm a Christian musician or a pastor? Or am I praying because I really am seeking God? And, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'll, here's what I'll say, is that a pastor or a teacher or anybody, anybody who's going to stand up and talk to me about disappointment or pain who hasn't been through it yeah. is someone I don't want to listen to. I'm the same way. I can't listen. It's, it's, I say I can't. It's hard for me to listen to, to someone like that. Like, it sucks, but it does build this trust, right? To go, okay. That person gets it, like they get it. Yeah, they're like they're in the club. They're in the pain club, and it's and it's and it's not like they're going to have answers, and you know they're not going to have necessarily like mm-hmm. the answer to fix it. 
Right. But you know that they can sit with you. They can hold that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. And there were people. So you had the, the counselor, the psychiatrist. Were there other people that were kind of holding that space? Absolutely. For you? Yeah. My best friend was like my, if you're familiar with AA, you know, when you go into AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, you get a sponsor. Yeah. So I had another friend of mine, my best friend, who's like my sponsor. I could call him anytime, you know. Oh, it's so, amazing. So he helped me. And then I had other, you know, other counselors uh, from coast to coast, San Diego, uh, Oregon, uh, Orlando, who I, I called and access and gave me help and then mm -hmm. pastor friends too. Yeah. And then there were people who were absolutely jerks and said evil and wicked things and wrote me really horrific letters. And I saved them because yeah. I'm waiting when I turn 70, I'm going to, speak at a conference somewhere and I'm going to lay it all out and I'm going to use it constructively, Andrew, and say, here's what you don't do when someone in the ministry is going through something that you don't know anything about. You don't write them a letter that says, doo, 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 doo. I'm going to yeah. read it out. Well, okay. So then tell me this, what's the process of stepping back into public ministry after going through that? Do you just kind of step up one day and jump in? Or hey, like, I'm back. How, how do you do that? Um, how do you get yourself prepped for it? Slowly. I think when I first started to actually speak and teach again, I was sitting down for a while. Literally, I was literally like I had a stool or a chair up there. Hmm. I just didn't feel like standing up. And I, I, you know, and I still feel this way. I, You know, when you're a pastor... I'm awful sorry for, for us. <laughs> you kind of have to have the answer for everything. You're the answer guy or the answer gal. Man, I just, and you're, you're the expert. You got to be an expert at marriage, expert at dating, expert at money, expert at giving, expert at spirituality, expert at prayer. I just got yeah. tired of being the expert. So And you have to follow through. Right? Yeah. You, have to, you have to call back and check in. Yeah, you do all the time. The expectations are yep. insane. Yeah, so... So it was took me time to to get back, and again, sorry to, to harp here, but I, I continued to see my my Christian therapist, and just he was really encouraging. Because what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to dump, even indirectly or through projection, all my stuff onto the congregation. You know, mm -hmm. my pain is my pain. What I went through is spe was specific for me, so I didn't want to be a, a cosmic killjoy or a, or a Debbie Downer. Every time I got up and preached, and I'm always preaching for my own own pain. Does that make sense? Yeah. So. Wow. So now, how long has it been since you came back to kind of preaching? Ten. In, uh, ten years. Ten years. Okay. Yeah. And you've been married for for five years now. Got remarried five years. Five years. Six okay. children between us. It's like the Brady Bunch. Dude, is it fun? All those kids? Yes, it is. No, they're not. At I mean, that's Cliff and Danielle just on a regular day. Six kids. And that's the truth. Yeah, I don't know how they do it. So, yeah, I, I they're, they're, they're adult kids, though. So we have kids ranging from age 30 to age 21. Wow. All over. So, you, so we have kids living in Chicago, Austin, Houston, Phoenix, and L.A. Wow. So are you traveling all the time then to go see everybody? Yeah, we do travel. My wife travels more than I do, but uh, to see the kids. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah we do travel. I do travel even during, even during COVID. I've traveled. Didn't, didn't hear it. Didn't hear it. Here's the deal, though. Let me tell you this. It's a secret. So a lot of the planes are empty, 
Dude, flights are so cheap. Yeah, and they're cheap and they don't charge fees anymore. I'll get on there, put my mask, and I get a whole row. I'll just jump in the row and sleep. And keep, it's 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 kind of good travel, actually. I'm not going to live in fear, by the way. I'm just not going to. Sorry. Well, you're in Texas. Yeah, come on, man. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so are you guys empty nesters now? Yes. Yes, empty nesters. Was that... Was that hard? No. No. Tell me. I, well, I love I love kids. I love being around my kids, you know, yeah. most of the time. Sure. So empty nesters. No, it wasn't difficult. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very um, private person. Mm. And so I, I was doing an interview earlier today. They go, man, how does COVID change this? I was like, you know, COVID hadn't changed my life personally that much. I'm, I'm an introvert. <laughs> And I you just have been, yeah, been more excuses. Yeah. I have a friend of mine say, Hey, he said, Hey, young, you've been social distancing your whole life. He said, <laughs> he said This is your moment. <laughs> but, so I love people, but, and I love kids, but in doses, portion control. Yeah. Got to have portion so, control. So, what do you do with this? But kids take up a lot of, they don't just take up space in your house, they take up time and, and emotional energy and that you're happy to spend. What do you, what have you done with that time and, and space now that it's Net, just the two of you at the house? Netflix, Hulu. Okay. What are you watching? <laughs> That's part of it. Um, yeah. what, I, what we've been watching is a lot of historical dramas. Like we watch for the first time in my life, a Russian show. It's Russian it, with English subtitles. It's called Ekaterina about Catherine the Great. Oh, wow. And it's on Russian TV, and it comes on with an emblem that says, this is approved by the government of Russia. Dude. But it's really, it was pretty good. It was three seasons of that. So we watched that. Do you feel like you've got just a little bit of like colloquial Russian now that you could kind of ask for the bathroom? Uh, yeah, I know. I can say things out. like, well, they say, um, no, nit, nit. There you go. And yes, is da. Yeah, I got into a phase of, of old Russian novels for about two years, you know, I dropped out of college. I wanted to seem smart. So I just read like Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. Oh, that'll and, depress you. And, yeah, for real. But I was already there. So it just fed it. It was great. Oh, it's awesome. It is yeah. interesting when you're down and, and really that, and that you do like something even feeds it. You feel like, um, it's like a support group. <laughs> yeah, it probably was. Yeah. It was. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, so the book just came out Yeah. and, uh, and, are you guys like meeting again in person? We've been meeting since uh, Mother's Day. You have like everybody in? You got, like all in? Do you have all kinds of rules and stuff? Yeah, all kind of rules. We take a temperature. We we did, and we do ask them to wear a mask. We sterilize stuff. We practice social distancing. But this is Texas, <laughs> not California. I was in Texas when it hit. I was in uh, we. There's a place called Laity Lodge down there. Oh yeah, uh, you've been down there. So my we were going. I was going to do the music for. Uh, a family for the Memorial Day weekend. Okay. And for that, the family camp. And we, we got off the plane and everything canceled. Like everything canceled basically while we were in the air. Yeah. And then we were just stuck in, uh, I can't remember what that little town is. Uh, King, Kerville. Kerrville. Kerrville, yeah. That's where Danielle's uh, grandparents are from, I think. Oh, yeah, that's right. So we, had, we had five days to kill in Kerrville when the world shut down. We couldn't buy toilet paper. It was wild. Um, yeah, that was my experience of Texas and, and COVID, and it was different from my metropolitan 
hipster city that I live in here in Nashville. Yeah. Uh, well, so so what's next for you? What like what's on the horizon for the rest of the year for you? Is it travel speaking or just kind of keep on keeping yeah, on? Are, yeah, I don't think people are travel. I mean, I'm I'm speak here every weekend at the church. Yeah. So I'm doing that, and I am I do uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Okay. And our school just shut down. I know this sounds like a Bruce Lee movie, but our school yeah. shut down and. They're trying to open a new school, so I'm, I'm trying to help my professor do that. Wait, your school shut down? What, like the because of COVID that? and stuff, it just yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of shut down, and we're already having some financial issues, and so we've got to open a new I don't, but wow. my professor is going to open a new school. Wow. Okay, I want to end on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Okay. When did you get into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? How? When? You no, know, uh, about seven years ago I got into it. I think okay. six or seven years ago. I'm not sure. I'm a purple belt. So they're, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is the hardest black belt out of all the martial arts. For real? It takes longer. And, it, and is this, what, what makes Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu different from non-Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Well, Jiu-Jitsu is Japanese. And right? so yeah. the Japanese taught the Brazilians and the Brazilians adapted it. Okay. Oh, so that's no why it's way. called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Okay. So Jiu-Jitsu is a, is a, um, it's a, Ground-based grappling, like wrestling, martial arts, and but, isn't it like where you use the other person's force against them? Isn't that kind of the? Um, yes, you. Why don't I not talk and you talk? That's okay. I like that. People always say that you use your use their energy against them. Yes, you can do that. That's more judo, but judo and jujitsu are, are definitely uh, brothers and sisters. Um, you should, basically, you use your leverage, a big part of your body, against a smaller part of their body. So jujitsu is about getting its position and then submission. And you submit people either by choking them out, by breaking their shoulder, breaking their arm, breaking their wrist, breaking their ankle, breaking their knee. And so the way you prevent someone from doing that when we're training is you tap. You either tap sure. with your hand or you say tap, tap, tap. Yeah. Or you can get really hurt. Like, for example, I got my nose broken uh, two months ago. For real? Yeah, I took an elbow to the nose. Get hurt. So, as a as a writer, is jujitsu like a total escape, or are you like constantly looking for metaphors in it? Well, I mean, I started jujitsu because I like to surf, and the surfing was really poor here in Texas, and they opened a a jujitsu school near my work, and so, and I've always been interested in martial arts and fighting and UFC and MMA. I just I like it a lot. Yeah, Didn't that forgive me. So, but I think life is a fight. Paul uses a lot of fighting metaphors in the Bible. Sure. So, so that's how um, I, I got into it to help me get outside of my head because I struggle a lot with, again, I wrote another book, Unapologetic Plug, on doubt. And I, I did my dissertation on doubt. And I, I, I can get trapped in my head a lot. And so physical activities like surfing and jujitsu help me get outside of my head and do something really physical. Yeah, that's awesome. Purple belt. A purple belt. All right. Well, I will I will never test you against me. You will win. I, I doubt it. You, you never know in a fight. I was talking, I was watching a podcast recently. I know. I, I, I mean that. And it, it doesn't matter if you're a black belt of this. In a real fight, in a live situation, you never know. But, but when you do know how to fight, mm -hmm. like I do, you don't want to fight. 
So, sure. so if you very Mr. Miyagi of you, it is. So you learn to fight, so you don't have to fight. Okay, well, I'll read that book. So, you learn to fight, so you don't have to fight. I'll unpack that one all day. That's some moves, dude. Wax on. <laughs> man, well, thanks for making some time. It's so good to see you. It's great and, to uh, see you, man. I can't. Yeah, I, I got to read about half the book. Yeah. In the last couple of days, and I'm looking forward to finishing it. It's really good. Man. Yeah, it's 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 a quick read, and it's it's really practical. I mean, I think you know, I've, I've kind of leaned towards more of the theological intellectual side of the faith, but this book is it ain't that. It is. It just, feels like hanging out, man. Like yeah. somebody who's been through some stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's, it's really good. good. Dude. Well, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Tell uh, tell Cliff and Danielle I say hey. I will, Andrew. We'll talk soon. Great to be with you. Thanks, man. Thanks, Ben. That was awesome. So good to see you, man. You can get his new book, Surviving the Day, at Amazon, or if you're in Texas like he is, maybe in like an actual store. I don't know. I remember stores. I never thought I would miss them. Anyway, the book is awesome. You've got to check it out. The link is in the show notes. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Chicken of the Month Club. 28 bucks a month sends two chickens to families in need every month. This really does change people's lives, and you can be a part of it. fh.org slash pivot. Sign up today. Thank you guys for listening, for being so awesome, for supporting the Chicken of the Month Club. We'll be back again next week with another great episode. So have a great day, and now go do something awesome. Mm-hmm.